podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there and welcome along to another episode of Eurotales. Every club in Europe and the divisions and regions that contribute to the continent's footballing success has a story to tell and we aim to tell it through a medium of expert fans and exclusive interviews from people in the know. This week we have... A very unique cocktail for you. We take a look at a club that has started the season magnificently well overall, Cambridge United. We are joined by Jack from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. And then in part two, we take a look. We take a look at all the happenings and going-ons in Ligue 1 in France with the magnificent Jeremy McGann from the French Football Podcast. Let's get right into it. Cambridge, what comes to your mind when you think of that place in the world? Probably the university or rowing, but they also have a football club that has three wins from their first five games. They have a manager who's one of their own, a former season ticket holder, and is the same with the owner too. He's also one of their own. We were call up with Jack from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast to have a look at this club, put them under the microscope and get the inside track. The U's Cambridge United stormed out the blocks at the commencement of the League One season. Going into last weekend, they were top of the league, attracting envious and admiring glances from rivals. Away to late Orient at the weekend, Mark Bonner's Cambridge endured a tough afternoon going down 2-0 to a better team on the day, who ran their socks off. Overall, though, Cambridge United are a team on the rise. The Yellow Army survived the League One gauntlet last season, following promotion from League Two. We are joined by Jack from the truly brilliant Under the Abbey Stand Cambridge United podcast. Welcome to your tale, sir. How are you doing? And tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks for having us. It's brilliant to be on. Um, yeah, we've been doing the podcast for about five years. Uh, just a, a number of fans and friends who wanted to give the fans a bit of a voice, uh, maybe when the club wasn't being run so well. Uh, and we're on to better times now, both league-wise and the club being run as well. So, yeah, and this season, like you say, has started kind of unexpectedly well, really. I think everyone had us pinned to the bottom of League One and... Uh, Lo and behold, we've we've won three out of five. We're a bit disappointed, I think, um, about the weekend's game, as you said, uh, against Leighton Orient. Maybe a bit of a chance miss, but as you said, also, they were absolutely the better team. So it's been a brilliant start, and it's nice that we're in the top half of the table and, yeah, looking up rather than down at the moment. An amazing start, mate. Has it modified your expectations for this season? Um, yes. <clears throat> yes, potentially. I, I thought going into this season, we were a bit low on players. I thought we were going to be struggling for squad depth and potentially we still are with a couple of injuries already kind of um, rearing their heads. But I mean, it, it's it's a, a fifth of the points we got in the whole of last season we have already, which is kind of, we had a good start last season. So I think we're all a bit cautious that it could be kind of uh, history repeating itself. But 
Uh, it's a great start and, uh, you know, good performances that we didn't see at all last last uh, last season. But the, the weekend's performance was woeful, which is a worry. But hopefully that was a blip rather than a sign of things to come. And yeah, it's just nice to see us winning, you know, and playing well. It's been a roller coaster ride, would you say, following Cambridge in recent years? How would you describe it to people who don't know that much about your recent history? Um, well, I mean, we spent nine years out of the football league in the conference, and that was, you know, tough. And we were, we, you know, we weren't sure we were ever going to come back. And then uh, eventually, um, did it the hard way, coming up through the playoffs and winning, beating Gateshead at Wembley. Then into League Two, kind of found our feet, pretty attritional for a few years. And then uh, in the COVID-affected season, um, Paul Mullin, who fans may know from the uh, the Wrexham fame, uh, fired us uh, to, to 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 League Two success, came second in the league, automatically promoted to League One. Uh, we had Wes Houlihan at the time as well, who was kind of instrumental in us in us going up. So, yeah, it was great, <clears throat> great story. Uh, both have since moved on. Mullin obviously to Wrexham and. Hulahan's retired, <clears throat> but um, yeah, just we've had some great, great players over the year. We've had obviously some NAF players over the year, but uh, yeah, United have uh, have done really well in the past few years and also stabilised themselves as a club. So it's a nice time to be a Cambridge United fan. And last season, mate, were you worried that relegation was going to be inevitable? Uh, yeah, kind of for the whole of the back third of the season I think everybody thought the way it was going you know we went 27 games without a win in all competitions which is uh, kind of obscene really if you think about it and amazing that we stayed up um, but yeah and then you know the, the penultimate game of the season was uh, an away trip to Burton we lost that 1-0 uh, and I think that was just yeah writing on the wall we're down now and you know then the last day of the season we had to beat Forest Green we had to rely on other results uh, we had to rely on MK Dons not winning. They had 31 shots in their game and somehow didn't score. Um, so, yeah, the the stars were aligned and somebody was on our side. So, yeah, it was brilliant, really. It was just uh, more by luck than anything, but we'll take it. From the outside looking in, mate, the fabric of your club, if I was to summarise it as a neutral, it would be a never-say-die attitude resonates through Cambridge United. Most of the time, your side simply never gives up. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Um, given, I think even in League Two, to be honest, but certainly in League One, we are a, sm- a small side and are written off by everyone. And that's kind of Cambridge United almost thrive on that, you know, being told they're going to finish bottom or going to get relegated seems to fire the team up. And, uh, you know, the, the first season we were in League One, we were, you know, we, we were quite good and we were kind of comfortably... Um, safe and then it's a shame that we couldn't push on and establish ourselves last season but this season's been a good start and beating some fairly handy teams so if we can string another few good results together to keep the momentum you know from going after that loss against Orient then yeah I think we can be in a really good position and once again kind of prove the doubt is wrong um, and yeah I, I think we've got a really good manager in charge who lives by that ethos Mark Bonner I think he you know it's his first management job Um and he's just taken it on and he, he's come through some pretty tough times. People calling for his head last season when we were struggling. And, you know, he, he you know, there was a lot of rumours about him going to Rotherham and, uh, you know, connections with other teams as well. So that maybe upset the apple cart a bit, I think, with uh, with how the season went. It coincided with the start of the, the the bad run. And, yeah, I think that did upset the dressing room and the players. But he's he got them back and you could see the players were playing for him right until the last game. 
And this Mark Bonner guy you got for me, he's a homegrown. He's one of your own, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. He, he'd he come to games, you know, when he was a kid down there and, you know, came up through the coaching ranks and, you know, looked after the youth team for a while. And, and yeah, it, it, kind of old school in, in, in that respect. And, yeah, not like a, you know, a, a known manager, not really an ex-player and nothing like that. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting story and, and way that he got into into management and it's it's going well for him and I think you know regardless of what happens at United you know if, if this season was to derail and Bonner was to go I think he would leave in pretty good stead and like on good merit I think and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see him get another job in this league you know or, or potentially even maybe the league above so yeah he's he's had a great start to to management um in his life and yeah I think he could have a really quite a good long successful career what kind of football does he conjure? What would you describe his philosophy as? Um, <clears throat> it's an interesting question. It's quite, it's quite different. It's quite versatile. I mean, from the from the league two days, uh, we we've changed system a fair bit. We you know we were flirting with five at the back and wing backs for a while. We're now pretty much, you know, four at the back, and we rely a lot on wide players. To, you know, to creative wide players. So um, we've got a few, quite a few choices. I mean. Um, Sully Kai Kai's come in, but we've got James Brophy and Saiku Jana, who are kind of competent wide players. Jana suddenly has just gone out injured. So be interesting to see how they mix it up. And then, you know, <clears throat> usually playing with one up top with a kind of number 10 behind them. But yeah, we, you know, I think it's quite fluid. We, we used to be a bit of a set piece team and I think we've kind of gone away from that a bit. And it's, it's something that we could maybe do with getting back. I mean, having Wes Houlihan as the man who's, you know, distributing the balls was really great because he's so good. And I think we've maybe lost a bit of that kind of set piece danger, but yeah, we, you know, we a lot of our goals will come from balls out wide, um, you know, cut back in. And now we've got a big man, um, Gasana Hadme up front, who scored two um, two headers this season already. So nice to have a bit of an aerial threat. Uh, Joe Ironside kind of struggled through last season after having a great season the season before. So um, yeah, it's he, he's he's left to Doncaster now. We've replaced. Replaced him and Sam Smith with a, a very tall, um, quite aggressive striker. You, you've touched on some of the new arrivals there. There's been a lot of departures this transfer window. What, a red nine, is it? In excess yeah. of almost double figures. Is this a big metamorphosis your playing squad is going through? Yeah, it is, it is kind of cyclical. And I think like we, we'd reached that point, you know, Nibs and Smith both went to Reading and you know, I think that'll be seen as a kind of step up for them, and I'm sure they're getting paid more. Um, keeper Dimitar Mitoff went to St Johnston, making headlines, keeping a clean sheet against Celtic at the weekend, and uh, already got he's got a, his first Bulgaria call up. So you know that's that, that's the reason why he went, and it's it, it's going well for him already. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the players, you know, a couple were um, released because they were coming to kind of the end of what they could provide the team, you know, don't want to dig anyone out, but Liam O'Neill and Greg Taylor have been great servants to the club, but, you know, they both kind of reached, you know, where they could be really. And yeah, so there's a lot of replacing to do, you know, there's quite a lot of youth coming through for United. We saw Glenn McConnell and Lewis Simper both come on at the weekend who are youth, um, youth products from the club, um, which is great to see. And yeah, we've got uh, Liam Bennett, a right back who's also a youth product who's now established himself as our starting right back. So there's a bit of that. We've brought in some experienced players, um, Elias Kachunga being one, 
um, who's got Premier League experience and, you know, has already contributed with a goal. So, yeah, it's, um, it is a big transition. It'll be interesting to see. We've still kind of got a core of our team, but it's um, it's a it's a mixture of uh, experience and, you know, youth, I suppose, is how you say. Are you expecting any more arrivals before the window slams shut? Yeah, well, we, w- we were told pretty categorically no. Uh, by Mark Bonner and then picked up two injuries and then he said we would get someone in and then before the weekend he said we're not sure that we've got anybody kind of earmarked but we should bring someone in before the end of the window so I hope we get someone else in but it's not particularly clear he's keeping his cards close to his chest and your owners mate how would you describe them is there stability at Cambridge now yeah so for a number of years it was very um yeah, very frictious between the fans and the owners. There was, you know, there was a lot of conversations about where money had gone, and you know, it, it, the club weren't in a good place. You know, there was talked about administration, and you know, this is in this is in the last twenty years. So, I mean, it was you know a very real possibility that Cambridge United might cease to exist. And then, owner Paul Barry is a Cambridge um, Cambridge-born man who makes his living um, out in America. Um, and he owns a club and has brought in a couple of investors who are business partners of his, uh, of his and they're, you know, they're really enthusiastic and they've put a bit more money. We now own the land that the ground's on because for a while there was a, you know, an ongoing thing with Grosvenor, um, who are a property developer here. And they, you know, we came to a really good deal with them to get that. So that's really important so we can develop the ground. And yeah, I think financially we're showing to be in a lot better position position than we have been in a a number of years that's so romantic that you've a cambridge manager and owner it's quite unique isn't it it is um yeah and it's like you said it's it's a very kind of community-led club they have an ethos of like you know including everyone and you know keeping it all local and like our new sponsor is a um a local brewery um and like so you know it, it is just like they are really keen to kind of um, include everything local and, you know, keep the club kind of grassroots as well. You know, they do a lot for the community. We've got a foundation that go out and work in schools. So, yeah, it's a real good kind of, um, you know, community club. And it's it's in a city that is famous for the university, not for the football club. So, you know, the football club could be a lot better followed, really. And it, it, it isn't. But, you know, attendances are on the up and it's nice to see new faces down the Abbey and, you know, a bit more enthusiasm about, you know, the team in the city. Do many students end up following Cambridge when they go to uni, dear? Um, I think not. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously it'll be quite cyclical for them. There'll be three or four years and then they'll be off again. But I, I don't see many students. I mean, I stand in the Newmarket Road and they may sit in the main stand. But as far as I know, there's not very many that go down. And I mean, it, there, there's not really a connection between the club and the university at all. You know, the, the the club have used university land as a training pitch for a while, but that's about it. I mean, and it, it's it's a shame in a way, but also, you know, the, the university students are here at the best university in the world, and it's, it sounds like there's a lot of hard work goes into what they're doing. So maybe a Saturday afternoon at the football isn't quite high up their agenda really but yeah they don't have uh, time to go down the booze do they exactly exactly that yeah so i think um no but I, it's it's nice and yeah as i say attendances this season being on the up is a real positive and what is the general feeling mate amongst supporters how far can you go this season is it beyond surviving relegation i don't know i think there's a real 
divide because I think we were the majority of us were <clears throat> pretty pessimistic coming into the season. Um, I think we thought we didn't really have enough depth, and we, you know, we didn't bring in enough quality. And then the way we started was, you know, it's so positive. I think Saturday's game against Leighton Orient was a bit of a kind of uh, wake-up call that if we, you know, if we don't turn up to the races, we could find ourselves in the same position as last season. So there's no, um, no one's thinking that we're going to, you know, be pushing for the playoffs or anything, I think, at the moment. But it's about kind of building on last season and making it a little less stressful and a little, you know, a little more straightforward when it comes to the business end of the season. So... I think there's still a lot of trepidation from the fans. A lot of people are scarred from last season, so I think they just want to get through it and uh, you know see where we are come Christmas and then see where see where we are come April. Guaranteed optimism. You can't be disappointed, in is it? Yeah, exactly. My friend, thanks so much for your time. Do you want to tell our listeners about your podcast and where they can find it? Yeah, so at Abbey Stand Pod on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, um, and yeah, our podcast goes out. Uh, Monday mornings and uh, Thursday evenings. Um, and yeah, we get away away fans on the pod um, for a bit of preview. And yeah, sometimes uh, insightful chat about Cambridge United. You're a gentleman. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Quite unique Cambridge United with a homegrown manager, a homegrown owner and a community-led club. A club on the rise. Thanks so much, Jake, for your time. You're listening to Eurotales, where European football stories are explored one at a time. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Ooh la la, it's time to visit the realms of the Champs-Élysées once again. Liga 1 is exploding into life. The transfer window's about to close. We call up with Jeremy McGon from the French Football Podcast, the official league on podcast also, as well as several other outlets Jeremy features on. So many, I can't list them all. To get an update on all things happening in the top division in France. We are blessed to be joined by French football expert and connoisseur Jeremy McGon. My friend, welcome back to your tales. How are you? And do you want to tell our listeners a bit about you and your French football show? I'm good, Liam. Thanks for having me. It's always always a pleasure being uh, being on Eurotales and uh, and sharing a screen with you. We've had uh, a few collaborations over over the years, uh, all of us new new Australians. Uh, yeah, look, uh, everything is doing all right on my end. I uh, I have the the French football podcast, uh, which is on my uh, podcast channel on Jeremy Magan podcast channel, and also. That I release on Spotify and all, and all platforms, uh, where I do an episode once a week and, and I just talk about uh, football in Liga, you know, the best football in the world, the best talent in the world. And uh, and even without Messi and without Neymar this season, there's still a lot going on. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to always talk about French football every time I can. I can tell you, listeners, there's not many men on this planet that know as much about French football as Jeremy. We start with... The subject of your love and affection, Marseille. How is life after two door thus far, my friend? It's uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, there's uh, there's like polls going on within Marseille fans being like, oh hey, should we be okay with being less fun to watch but getting better results? Uh, which is basically what happened. So uh, I guess for anybody who doesn't know, um, Tudor 
supposedly said he didn't want to stay in Marseille or maybe uh, Pablo Longoria didn't want to keep him. But regardless, it ended uh, back in June. And after uh, rumors that Marcelo Gallardo could potentially be the new coach at Marseille, probably to make sure that all the fans were getting happy, happy. Uh, Pablo Longoria decided to appoint his, uh, his lifelong friends and former mentor, Marcelino, as uh, the coach at Marseille. And, and he never hid that Marcelino was one of his best friends and, and the coach that uh, made him fall in love with football. So it's a, it's a big step for Pablo Longoria to finally appoint his friend. Uh, and when he came, we knew that we were going from, you know, the sort of the the, the craziness and the uh, imprevisibility, excuse me, of Sampaoli and Tudor to a very regimented 4-4-2 uh, with, uh, with high wingers, with no individual press, but zonal marking, uh, just a different style of football that, although it's going to be um, offensive, uh, just feels hard this day and age. You know, nobody plays 4-4-2 anymore, and there's a good reason. It's because you get run over by any other midfielder who has three people in the middle of the park. So so it's interesting to to watch. Uh, and then uh, we've had a fair share of uh, of chaos in the, in the team. So if the uh, back four, uh, only one player change with the arrival of Ronan Lodi, uh, everywhere on the park, it's, it's a lot of new faces. Um, Geoffrey Kondogvia has joined from Valence, but he just got injured, so he's going to be away for six weeks. Uh, and then up front, it's uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, Iliman Njai, who helped Sheffield United um, coming back into Premier League, of course. Um, Ibrahim, so Ismail Assar, excuse me, who was at Watford and before that uh, was in France. Uh, and uh, we've just got Joaquin Correa, who's joined from Inter. Uh, so we've lost Alexis Sanchez, but we've recruited uh, a little bit of talent. We've just signed Murillo uh, from Anderlecht as well to be a, a number two to Jonathan Close. Um, so that's about who we signed. And early in the season, everybody thought, you know, the, the starting eleven is going to be completely changed. And then three games in, uh, it's back to Rangier Veretou. It's back to Arit onto the left side, and Vitinha is actually doing okay. Uh, so, so it, it's a bit of a same, same, but different, I guess. Uh, and of course, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you heard. Um, I, I, I wasn't aware, but apparently Marseille lost to Panathinaikos. I don't know. I, I didn't watch those games, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, so I, I just know that we are qualified for the Europa League. It's probably better for Marseille to be in Europa than the Champions League anyway. Uh, but he wasn't the best start to life as a Marseille coach, of course, with Marcelino not being able to, uh, all jokes aside, uh, qualify for the, uh, not even for the playoff round of uh, of Champions League and lose against a team from, from Greece who's not even the best Greek team. The French course in Europe strikes again, doesn't it, Jeremy? The coefficient to be taking a hammer in. It's, it's terrible. And, and, you know, I hear everywhere people saying, oh, Eredivisie is now the the top five and France should be dropped from the top five or whatever. We know it's not that because thanks to Paris, clearly. Uh, but we also know, you know, in all fairness, that Marseille, Rennes, Monaco, Lille, they're clubs that have better chances of going further in the competition and help the European competition for France if they're in Europa League and if they're in Conference League rather than the Champions League. So, uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm not complaining. I think it's going to be a bit more fun and we have the draw a little bit later uh, today as well. So, we'll see who, who they're going to play. But uh, 
yeah, it was it was a it was a tough one. I think a tough uh, pill to swallow for everybody at, at the club. Uh, but I think it was also a good way to make sure that you know everybody goes back to uh, ground level and and focus on the season at hand. And there's no dreams of potentially trying to get far in the Champions League. It's just realistic expectations, and they're undefeated in three games, so we'll take that too. Yeah, that's it. Seven points from the first three games. A win at the boisterous velodrome against Brest, who had already taken out last year's runners-up lawns. I want to touch on Brest there, Jeremy. Watching your game against them, Marco Bizot in that Brest goal. Is he one of the most underrated goalkeepers in Liga I think he is. I mean, I think, to be honest, Brest as a squad is very underrated uh, and under um, under a required. They're actually doing pretty good. Uh, I, I think it's the, the kind of team that you overlook because there are so many other great teams in Britain and because you know that they're going to finish, you know, in the second half of the table and maybe try to fight for, for relegation. Uh, but the way they play football, well, they play football. Uh, Marco Bizzo is, is probably, you know, one of those players, uh, one of those goalkeepers, sorry, who has almost everything um you know he's charismatic uh, he's a leader uh, he's very good on his line he's very good in the air uh, i think just because he's made a few mistakes you know here and there and because he's at breast uh, he doesn't have the same um you know recognition that he should be you know kind of you know we talk about the mat cells uh, or, or, or those goalkeepers that are not French, so already they don't get the same treatment that French goalkeeper gets anywhere in the world. Uh, and and I've come to Ligue 1 and I've just surely but slowly shown that, you know, they're irreplaceable in their club uh, and they're bringing a lot on the table. And, you know, that, that game against Brest over the weekend, there's a reason why Brest was top of the table before they, they played Marseille on the weekend. They're just a strong team who, who you know, attack relentlessly uh, and who just like we said, just want to play football and to build football properly. And, and Pierre-Les Melou, who, you know, wasn't as much success as maybe people expected when he went up to Norwich, uh, coming back uh, in France and in Ligue 1, he's a staple in that midfield for Brest and he's really helping them uh, perform the way they are. Like Marseille didn't play very well. It's great that they were able to get the win, but not often you're going to see Marseille not getting the the main possession uh, at home because it was 54% for Brest, if I'm not mistaken. And that was it. They fought back against Lawrence from 2-0 down, didn't they? And still came back in defeat. They have a bit of that. They don't give up, don't they? They never give up. That, that's the team that they built as well. You know, they've, they've got Kenny Lala, who's come back. They, they found those players, Lala, Les Melou, who have done well in France, went overseas, and it didn't really work that well. So then they come back. Steve Mounier is another example. So then they come back and they're trying to bring something. And then they've paired that with, with young players that are trying to show themselves. So unfortunately, he's left the club this summer. But up until uh, then, uh, Aris Belkebla was doing a world of good in the midfield there at Brest. And up front, you got um, Jeremy Ledouaron, uh, who's a very underrated striker, who is very good in the air, very fast, super um, you know, at ease technically, can be the anchor man and the guy who takes the space. Uh, so, so, yes, they have talent, but they really have this kind of team who has the mentality of, you know, everybody thinks we're going to fight for relegation anyway, we might as well give it a go. Uh, and I think it's also good to see Eric Roy uh, being able to lead a team like this uh, and make them play the way they are because he was a coach who was a little bit, um, you know, uh, probably 
sort of like buried too soon, too early, as soon as he took over Brest, everybody was like, oh, there you go, they are going to Ligue 2. Uh, so he must, he must be happy, you know, it's a good bounce back for him. You mentioned the um, departures there. One of the departures from Marseille, Genduzi, the first half of last season, he looked like a marvel. There was murmurings about you and I, Emery and Aston Villa sniffing around them. Now out the door, as a Marseille fan, how do you feel about that? Conflicted, if if I'm honest. Uh, you know, he was the he was the heart and soul of Marseille under Saint Paoli and at the beginning of the season under Tudor as well. Uh, he was knocking at the door uh, of the French national team. He was in the French national team, uh, and and then, you know, somehow we're not able to to fit to fit him in in our plans just because because we we just want to play one way and we don't think that he can do it. I, I think it's disappointing because uh, he's a very versatile player. He, he's the kind of player that everybody in Marseille loves because of the intensity that he brings in, um, and, and it's hard to find something in his game um, that is not good. Uh, technically, he's good. Uh, offensively and defensively, he can bring a lot. He scores goals. Uh, you know, he scores headers. Uh, and, and he can also have... He has a decent shot as well. I just think he's been somehow misused. And, you know, the, the rumors are that he's not the easiest player to manage. Uh, and that's something that, unfortunately, has stuck to him since even his Arsenal days. Uh, but it was said that apparently in Marseille, he had sort of like, you know calm all this and was able to focus on the football only and regrouped well. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a bit disappointing because he was also bringing something to the team that we don't have this, uh, you know, a little bit of madness, a bit of craziness uh, and, and the ability to change the game just because of that intensity as he brings in. Like so many times last season, you put him on the bench, he comes in for the last 20 minutes uh, and he just brings fire onto the pitch. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit disappointing and it's a bit of a, uh, a I guess, a strange choice when you think about it. Conduct guy is injured for six weeks. So now your midfield is Valentin Rongier and Jordan Verretou. Uh, Gay is not going to be playing for four months. Apparently, um, Marcelino loves Gay, but he's suspended because of that uh, transfer story between, between uh, I think it was, was it Watford at the time? Watford and, and Marseille, or I can't remember who it was. Um, so, so you now have only Rongier and Verretou. Uh, and if they get injured. Um, if Unai stays, you got Unai, but Unai apparently is on the way out as well. So if, if I'm Lazio, to be honest, if, if they're not sure about it, uh, they've gained a weapon. Uh, they've gained somebody who's actually going to do a lot for them in the midfield. You know, it's it's, it's not Milinkovic-Savic, uh, but he is a player that can be everywhere on the pitch, defensively, offensively, and that's going to rally the troops. Uh, and I think very, very quickly, he can become a fan favorite. Do you think he was Sampoli's man, as you said, and then he's a victim of this 4-4-2, is he? I think he is, and I think, you know, with Sampoli and with Tudor, um, it was very fluid, the, the tactics. You know, you could be the 6 and end up being the 8 or the 10. You could end up on the left wing and then be the right back in a defensive position, and that fluidity suits him. Uh, whether Marcelino's style is definitely a little bit more rigid, uh, you know, there's, there's only two central midfielders. So those two central midfielders have a lot of work to do, but mainly defensively. Uh, and then they need to be able to bring the creativity and maybe Genduzi in his, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, I guess, in his craziness, uh, isn't good enough at making sure that he sticks close to the other midfield and that they move together because he likes to uh, press everywhere. But he's a player that 
you can still use like it just needs a conversation to explain how it works uh but you know when you're going to play the the paris and the monaco uh, and, and the lance of this world you might have to go to a to a midfield three and he's the kind of player that you want to complement um two midfields like two midfielders like rongier and vero so it was definitely simple his men um even though he, he probably, you know, probably unbeknownst to them both before they met, just because the passion that lives inside them really, uh, you know, bonded bonded them. And then with Tudor, he had issues at the beginning, but then realized that there was that same, uh, yeah, that same fire within them. Uh, right now with Marseille, you know, it's another kind of coaching and it didn't seem to have worked for him. You know, the, the minutes that he's played uh, since the beginning of the season were actually good as well. So I don't know if he... Eventually wanted to lose. There's what to leave. Excuse me. There's one thing though. Uh, Pablo Longoria has been criticised uh, as well as Ribalta for not being able to sell. If you can get 16 million uh, for a player like Gendouzi that probably doesn't enter in your plans, it's also hard to say no. You. That's one rough diamond you may have lost, but you gained one as you touched on it when we first started talking. In Ismail Sar. He was once pursued by Liverpool and seen as the replacement for Sadio Mane. Do you feel you got a bargain there? I think so. I think he's he's a great addition to the team. And and look, we, we know what we're getting. Uh, you know, to not not to draw comparisons that are that are too too easy, but we we've had strikers like this, you know, Ibrahima Bakayoko, Mamadou Nyang, uh, the players that love to go and provoke and create something out of nothing. Uh, and Ismail Assar is that kind of player. You know, he gets the ball, he just wants to go and dribble and do it. Uh, you know, Amin Harit has, has a little bit of this, but Amin Harit likes to dribble to then do the best pass. Sar likes to dribble and, and find a shot. Left foot, right foot, it doesn't matter. So it's, it's great to have him because he brings something that, we didn't have in the team last season and now that we start to have a lot in the squad. So it's good to have him. It's, it's a bit surprising, you know, not every time you're going to have, uh, not every year, sorry, you're going to have players coming from, um, you know, the EPL or the championship and sign in France simply for the money to start with, um, but also because some players would see that as a, as a regression. But it, it's good that he, that he decided to come. We don't expect him to bag 25 goals. We fully expect him to have 60 opportunities and only score five of them. Uh, but I think he's, he's going to turn the, the Stade Velodrome uh, incandescent more often than not. You mentioned there some of the transfer business that's happened in France this summer. We've seen Eli Wahi, Balogun staying in Liga 1, <coughs> and Barkella as well. He's staying, he's going to PSG. What does this say about the strength of the league spending power? There are three players there that in years gone by, they, they would have already moved overseas, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's true. It, it's interesting because they they are absolutely different situations. You know, you have a guy like Elie Wahi who was, uh, uh, who was, you know, Chelsea was on him uh, and supposedly other EPL team, but Chelsea seemed to be uh, the most serious uh, pretendant. And then he said no to Chelsea because he basically knew that his game time wasn't going to be what he wants and decides to go to, to Lens, which is a very smart choice, a very good stepping stone uh, for somebody who sees his career a long time. You know, you go from Montpellier, who doesn't play European um, Cup, to Lens. Maybe, maybe it's even too big of a step because you go straight to Champions League. But at least you join a club that is run the right way by a coach that knows his team 
uh, you join a team that doesn't change too much, only two, three players uh, year in, year out. So they already have their, their way of, of playing and it's a bit more professional, maybe the environment that what you where you were down in Montpellier, they are used to win. Um, so it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, of learning to do. You might as well do all that learning while staying in your country and speaking your language. So I think it's a it's a very smart move from Eliwahi. You know, he removes a few of the adapting factors that would have been here if he had changed country. Uh, and we'll see we'll see how it pays off. Uh, but I think it was the, the right idea. Folarin Balogun going to Monaco. I don't know to be honest what what his first choice was. You know, what would have been would have he been up here staying at Arsenal and getting his shot, uh, or, or did he expect maybe a, a bit more, you know, a bit more, a, a few more contenders? Let's say after his his terrific season with Reims, uh, it's not the case. He's back at Monaco. I think he's going in the right club at the right time. Uh, you know, it's a season where Monaco doesn't play uh, any any European competition. Uh, you know, Monaco is now the Red Bull Monaco uh, unofficially with uh, with Adi Hutter, the former uh, RB Salzburg um, coach, and they, they got rid of Paul Mitchell, but they've replaced him uh, by another former uh, Red Bull sporting director. So that's what they're doing, and that's how they see the football being played. I don't know if you've been able to, to catch Monaco, but it's a it's a three four two one that is very fluid. Uh, the back three uh, with Zakaria, Singo, and, and I can't remember the name of the last one, the young player uh, is like they're they're almost strikers in in that back three, always uh, going forward. And the amount of ball going into the box uh, is mind blowing with Van Dersen on one side and Kai Enrique on the other. So uh, Folarin Balogun is just going to have so many opportunities. Uh, you know, the, the forwards at Monaco, whether it's Ben Yedder or, or Minamino, they're very selfless. They're not the kind of player who, who will score 25 goals without getting at least, uh, you know, 5 to 10 assists. Uh, so so he's going into a team that likes to play good football and that has real ambitions this season. Uh, so, you know, I think he's going to have to prove very quickly that he can perform uh, as well as he did at Reims. Uh, but, but I think he's going to be helped because the environment looks... Uh, looks healthy uh, in the principality uh, at the moment. As far as Barcola goes, uh, and, you know, and I'm sure we share that sentiment, uh, it's, it's such, a, uh, such an odd choice. You know, hasn't he seen what happened to Hugo Ekitike uh, last year? You know, you're 18 years old, maybe a bit older, uh, and you've, you've just, you've done what, six games, maybe 10 games for Lyon. You had a cracker of a half season. You're now a starter in the team that, so you growing up where you get where you get formed and and you're going to leave for the one team in the league that most likely will not give you any minute it, it's it's mind-blowing to me it's a very good piece of business for Paris Saint-Germain if you think about it you know if he has a full season with Lyon his price might double uh, so so maybe they they sort of like catch him at the right time but Gonzalo Ramos Mbappé Dembélé is the starting lineup and then you got Marcos Asensio. They are doing whatever they can to get Randal Colomani. There's a few hours left, but I'm sure they'll try uh, to sign him between now and the end of the transfer window. They have Kangin Lee. They have all those players that are proven on the European scene. And they go and get Barcola. You know, he, he might get his chance and he might make it count, but he'll never make it count to the point where the, the coach is going to think Dembele is not better than you. Mbappé is not better than you. That, that's not going to happen. So to, to me, it's a no choice. When you're a young player, you need to play football. You need to 
to improve. And if all you're going to do is training, they don't even have a reserve team. So it's not like you're going to play with the reserve. Um, it, it, it seems like a no choice, like to play just the Coupe de France game and, uh, and the odd six U- UCL game if you're qualified already for the next round. Uh, I, I'm not too sure why he went to, uh, to PSG. It's, it's surprising um, and, and hopefully for him, genuinely, uh, hopefully for him, Mbappe goes at the end of the season uh, because then maybe he has a shot at, at helping with the, with the rebuilding. Because he is a magnificent talent, isn't he? And his partner in crime he leaves behind, Ryan Shirky. Do you think he might have assumed a big bid would have been on the table for him this summer at Lyon? Yeah, I, I, I think it's... Yeah, it, I don't understand what's happening, what's happening in Lyon, to be honest with you. Like, Shirky was the one that was supposed to go to PSG uh, back in January. Uh, they were almost signing before the end. And then Bercola ends up doing it. It's maybe Cherki isn't very happy about it, but at the end, I think that Cherki is probably the best of the of the two eventually, as far as his fate this season. Lyon is a mess as well, you know, since Textor uh, took it over. Uh, I don't know if you saw the latest headlines, but Jean-Michel Olas is suing him. Uh, I, I don't know, if, I can't remember what for, and he's sent like. Uh, the, the financial police to go and have a look at the count, the counts uh, of Lyon, which is completely ridiculous. Uh, so also maybe when you're Bradley Barcola, uh, you're thinking, you know, I got to get out of here because uh, in, this club is in shambles and I shouldn't be there. Uh, and maybe Cherki regrets to still be there. But as far as football goes, um, I think Cherki eventually makes the right choice. I think it's also important to say, uh, because it's not, it's not going to be surprising eventually, uh, that Bradley Barcola changed agent, uh, and his agent is uh, what's his name, uh, George Mendes. Uh, and so all of a sudden, he goes to Paris Saint Germain because all the George Mendes players are in Paris Saint Germain right now. So there's also sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's fate, and sometimes you're helping fates the right way. It's funny you mentioned George Mendes. I had a, a Wolves guy on him two or three weeks ago, and he was. We were talking about Wolves' relationship with George Mendes, and he described them as a crack dealer. He said he gives you some good stuff at the beginning, and then <laughs> you get the rubbish, but you're hooked. You can't get off it. With Leon, Jeremy, where do you think they're going to finish this season? Could could they? They wouldn't be another Bordeaux, would they? I really, I really think they won't be that, but who knows? Uh, Laurent Blanc, two games in, gives that, you know, out of this world uh, press conference where the, the journalist asks what needs to be changed because your team has such so many good players and you can't score. And he said, oh, the coach, maybe you have to change the coach. Uh, and then, like I said, all this off the pitch um, sort of like joust between uh, Textor, the new owner, and Jean-Michel Olas, the former owner, it's it's all a bit ridiculous. Uh, and now you add to that, you, you saw that they just recruited uh, this Ghanaian player who was in uh, in Denmark, but Molenbeek bought the player and then loaned him to Lyon, uh, which just reeks of illegality. But I guess that's what uh, you know having several clubs these days uh, means. Uh, so so it's. It all looks in shambles, and they have they have such a brilliant team. If you look at the players in there, Anthony Lopez was one of the bo- the best keepers last season, as he's been 
for the past 10 years, although he's injured right now. Uh, you know, you got Lovren and Chaitachar in, in defense and Diomende uh, on the side. You got, I'm sorry, um, Kubedi, who's a, a very promising youngster. You got Taliafico, who just won a World Cup uh, not too long ago. Maxence Cacré, uh, Corentin Tolisso, uh, Le Penant, the, the young midfielder, uh, Lacazette, Cherki. There's talent everywhere. And, and they just... They just don't manage to uh, to get the results. Lacazette got a red card frustrated, and he almost, you know, was the epitome of what's going on at Lyon right now. Uh, they have everything they should have. They have a, a coach that has brought Bordeaux to the top, has brought PSG to the top, has obviously a career as a player uh, that demands respect, uh, and, and yet things seem to be very, uh, yeah, very obscure, very grim right now at Lyon. So, you know, I hope that they get out of the the shamble outside of the pitch as, as early as possible. And then I'm sure it'll show very quickly uh, on, on the green when they able to, uh, to fix that, to start with. Can they be relegated? Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like there's only 18 clubs right now. Uh, there's still uh, three clubs that are, that could be relegated, but also in another end, if in three games, uh, they haven't had like two wins, I think Laurent Blanc goes, and if you start changing coach, etc., you're going to eventually um, be able to to step out of it because there's too much talent in that team. That was, as you said, the, towards the end of last season, I thought they were finally bubbling, you know, starting to click, and that old famous Leon way was coming back. Exciting wingers, a really striker on form, centre forward in Lacazette. But then when you see... Barkala make that weird choice of going to PSG. It just looks bizarre. Symptomatic, right? Like if if you yeah. decide to go to a club where you know you're not going to play, you know, if we put the George Mendes piece aside, uh, it, it feels yeah, it feels like you just would rather be anywhere than at Lyon. So maybe you know maybe it's even worse behind the scene than than what we think, and and everybody just can't wait to get out of there. Uh, and and that's why Barcola isn't there. It's possible, but yeah, you, like you said, you know, they were. I think they were the third best team in Ligue 1 after January. Um, so they, it felt like they were doing the right thing. Uh, obviously, it's not uh, it's not translating well in 2023. Another club under the the multi club structure, Strasbourg. Now, of course, with the riches coming from Chelsea, have you been impressed with them thus far? Uh, I haven't been impressed. Like it hasn't been a, a huge change. Uh, I guess the one thing that maybe impressed me is that uh, they're playing okay, and and it's already more than what you can ask when your coach is uh, Patrick Vieira. You know, we've uh, we've seen Patrick Vieira at Nice. Uh, we've suffered Patrick Vieira in the in the south south east, especially you, Liam. Uh, and so seeing him on another bench is uh, always you know leaving us Frenchies perplexed. Uh, it also felt like you know. Uh, Chelsea takes over Strasbourg, which coach speaks French and will be known all around the world, Patrick Vieira. Uh, so it also felt like a bit of a, uh, let's make sure that the US market is covered, that the English market is covered. Uh, so it, it was it was a PR coup probably more than an actual signing. The good thing about Strasbourg, um, you know, the, the president, Mark Keller, uh, has done the rounds uh, all summer in, in the radios, in the media, uh, to reassure people that Bluco is the owner, 
Mark Keller is still the president. Sure, he sold all his shares, uh, but the team is the same. The recruiter is the same. The sporting director is the same. The, the team manager is the same, Kader Mangan. Uh, and, and so all, all that has been working so well in Strasbourg the past 10 years since they've made it from uh, Regional 1 all the way up to League 1, all those bases are the same. All that Mark Keller said he wanted was just more money because Strasbourg deserve a club that can, you know, instead of being between 10 and 7, being between 6 and 4. Uh, so so that's what they went for. Uh, and mind you, they didn't change much, uh, you know, in front. Uh, the attack was what, Lotiba, uh, Motiba, excuse me, and, and Gamero after Diallo was gone. Um, Bellegarde seems to be their best player still in the midfield. Of course, they've, they've recruited a couple of uh, promising youngsters. I think Angelo has just joined as well. I haven't seen him playing any minute yet. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, Mark Keller was also very transparent as far as that, um, that Chelsea um, collaboration where it was like, you know, the 31st of August, we're not going to see uh, seven Chelsea players who can't, have, um, who can't have their say in London coming to Strasbourg. Uh, what's happening is that our scouts in Strasbourg who have uh, seen players that they'd love to have at the Chelsea's academy are asking, can you please send it to me? And as far as Angelo goes, apparently uh, both the scouts from Chelsea and Strasbourg agreed that he was a great talent and Chelsea thought it wasn't the right time to bring him over to Chelsea yet. So instead, he's playing for Strasbourg so that he can stay um, you know, uh, at reach in case he becomes the talent that he's supposed to become. So it looks healthy. Uh, it looks promising. I'm I'm not a fan of uh, of uh, you know multi-propriety, but eventually it's where football is going. It feels like uh, so as long as you know they don't kill the identity of Strasbourg, and it looks like they haven't. We could see this weekend like everybody in front of Lamino three hours before having fun. Uh, it's a family-friendly stadium. It's probably the best stadium in France as far as like family and even the way they treat you know women coming to the game etc it's it's the best for that so they've done something really good over there mark keller his family and his collaborators so as long as they're able to keep that and then just you know support with a bit more resources to try and grow the club i'm, I'm all about it and they can breathe a sigh of relief jeremy that it wasn't frank lampard that rocked up to the book <laughs> That's he has spoken French. He has spoken French. <laughs> Maybe you put the, the on bo- an accent bonjour. like, like Bert did. He might do one of them press conferences. <laughs> he was one bonjour away from getting a job. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned there Belgad. I've been very impressed with his start to the season. He's got two assists, two goals, and three games. I'm interested to see with this new funding from Chelsea. Do you think they'll be able to retain someone like Belgard? I don't know. He already he's been um, chased by Nice uh, all summer. Uh, they really tried to to sign him until the end, and I don't know if it's over. To be honest, uh, it's it's also a bit of a surprising um, growth f- for Belgard. You know, he was. A good youngster playing, um, you know, next or or uh, stealing a few minutes from Thomason uh, back in the days, and then the season where they didn't play very well, uh, he was one of the standouts dis- despite uh, Strasbourg struggling. Uh, and, and now he he's able to confirm and to show that he has that talent. Uh, he's such a hard worker, and he's actually very very good ball to fit, regardless uh, if it's a pass or an acceleration. 
uh, he seems like the ball stuck to his feet in, in a bit of a uh, in a bit of an unconventional way, maybe in an orthodox uh, sort of like body language. Uh, but he is uh, he is pretty spectacular and he's got uh, a solid shot on him and he knows he knows where the goal is. You know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't ask himself through twice if he needs to uh, to take his chance or not. So uh, he's he's a pretty good player and a pretty unique uh, style of player as well that. Uh, if you have a, a versatile style of football, which is the case at Nice right now, um, it, it's uh, probably a good player to uh, to keep an eye on. With Chelsea there, you know, you're just going to have a bigger spotlight on the kid, right? So um, if if Bluco comes in at Strasbourg and say, look, the way for your club to be uh, sustainable is whenever you're going to have a guy like Belgarde coming in, uh, you know, one out of three, you're going to have to sell. Uh, then it is what it is, you know. Nobody, nobody is too naive not to know that in France, uh, the the money from the transfer uh, is key to any club surviving. So, so the spotlight is just a little bit bigger on him. Uh, but like I said, that doesn't mean that he wasn't already uh, highly supervised. And finally, Jeremy, just to finish, are you expecting much more transfer activity in Liga on before that window slams shut? Apparently, we have to keep an eye on uh, Stade René, who uh, who has about what, 100 million euros to spend now that they've sold uh, Jeremy Doku to uh, to Man City, and that potentially Arthur Theat would be uh, you know crossing the channel as well to join maybe a, a Liverpool or a West Ham is the is the last few things that I was reading. Uh, so apparently, they're going to to recruit. I think they've just got an Australian striker, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Rydal or Riddle is is his name. I'm, I, I don't want to. Uh, uh, to butcher his name, I'm sorry, uh, a 21-year-old striker, but uh, they would be looking for a centre-back if uh, they does leave, and apparently they want another wing-back and a midfielder. So Rennes is probably where things can move. Of course, the the Randall Colomani saga uh, is uh, is alive and well. Apparently, he's in Paris. He refused to. Uh, he refused to train for Francfort as a good Frenchman that he is. He's on strike, uh, and and so those two clubs might uh, might make it interesting. Of course, you know, even though they said it's not going to happen, I'm still pretty interested to see if Strasbourg gets uh, two or three loans, uh, you know, on the stroke of midnight, uh, coming from uh, coming from across the channel to see uh, see what could happen. Other than that, to be honest, though, I think most teams. Uh, did the work early and did the work well early. It felt like last weekend was about like the, the, the last day of the Mercato with Balogun confirming, Korea confirming. Uh, so so there was a, a bit of activity already. Uh, but, you know, I guess I guess you never know. Uh, but it, it looks like it could be a, a quiet uh, last 24 hours. Jeremy, my God, finally, will you tell our listeners where they can catch your magnificent show? Thanks, Liam. Uh, well, you can go on, on YouTube and Jeremy Magan podcast, uh, or if you go on Spotify, iTunes, or any where you listen to your podcast and you just put the, the French football podcast uh, or Jeremy Magan, you'll uh, find me and my French accent there. I'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for having me. Well, a very in-depth look at Liga On. There is clubs there who are going through Transformation Strasbourg with the new funding, one of the giants, one of the epicenters of French football in modern times, Lyon, in absolute disarray at the minute. 
they will be an interesting watch. Hopefully that circus there settles down for the sake of Leon's supporters. Euro Tales. Euro Tales. Well, that's all we've got time for. If you're a first-time listener, please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a like, a comment on Apple or on Spotify, those reviews mean so much to us and our ability to attract the best guests we can for your listening pleasure. Enjoy all the action this weekend. Goodbye. Podcast Network.